Welcome back to Lamniforms Radio. My name is Ian Corey. I'm the songwriter of the band Lamniforms. In December 2020, this podcast hosted a conversation between myself, Frank Meadows, and Jonathan Mondragon about the Mars Volta. At the time of that recording, the Mars Volta had not performed in a decade. The three of us felt that the band, who were wildly popular but critically despised during their heyday, deserved a reconsideration. We couldn't have picked a better time. In the ensuing years since that first podcast, the Mars Volta released a career-spanning vinyl box set, a new self-titled album, and hit the road with a show centered around songs from their fan-favorite first two records. With the underappreciated prog rock giants firmly back in the public consciousness, I called up Frank and Jonathan again to review the renewed Mars Volta. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, so Beto O'Rourke lost another election <laughs> earlier uh, in 2022. And yet, one of his key policy plans did come to fruition. Yep. Uh, we're back. They're back. <laughs> we're here to talk about the Mars Volta again. Thank you for joining me, Frank Meadows, Jonathan Mondragon. Hey. Uh, the crew is all back together again. <laughs> and uh, I, I can't, I, I'm extremely excited to have this, uh, this continued conversation about this band because uh, in the time since we recorded our first Mars Volta podcast, I feel like we've all been collectively proven right, you know? Yep. Uh, um, <laughs> And we, we couldn't have timed it better. It felt like almost immediately on the tail of releasing that episode, we had the huge box set announcement and all that. And then there's a reunion and a new record and a tour. So we had to jump back in and talk about, you know, as this little addendum to, you know, the Mars Volta discography conversation that we had a lot to talk about in the way that things have changed, even in the two years since we had that first conversation. So, John, you said that you you went to the, the reunion tour. You were at Aragon. Yep. Is that right? I uh, saw them at Aragon Ballroom in Chicago in October, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also, I got a chance to see them in New York at Terminal 5 in late September. So, October, that sounds about right if they were heading yeah. west, you know. Frank, sadly, I, I believe that you did not catch them on the reunion tour. I did not, but as we were just kind of discussing before recording, I part of the reason I didn't like totally scramble. I mean, it sold out in one second, and I think Ian, you got a ticket through a friend who couldn't use it, and we had discussed about me maybe trying to go, but I was thinking like it doesn't seem like the type of thing where they were just going to do a one-off reunion tour and call it quits again. Like I, yeah. I kind of had a feeling mm-hmm. I was going to have a a better chance to not pay hundreds of dollars for on StubHub <laughs> and just kind of get a normal get it further in advance next time yeah they already but, announced sure. festival dates so definitely more yeah. chances yeah. i think the, the the mars volta are back it's not a one-off thing it does not feel like the at the drive-in reunion which i know we touched on yeah in our previous episode this does feel like uh, a rebirth of the band yes and kind of a very different band on record at least uh and also in personnel which i'm sure we'll have a chance to talk about yeah it's also it's funny you know i cracked the joke about beto o'rourke just as sort of a callback to the first episode but uh another thing that happened over the course of the summer that i feel like is an interesting mirroring of like the seeds that were planted for that first episode where you know frank and i went on tour 
with this this band that we all have done previous tours with in the past. And, you know, the first time that I think we toured together back in like 2019, we put on some Mars Volta in the car uh, from Deloused and got an extremely negative reaction from everyone else in the car. <laughs> it was just us. It's hard to just throw that on in the context of a car drive with people who aren't down to like totally dive in also. But yeah, I think what you're getting at is that then we were on tour as the singles for this record were coming out and mm-hmm. it lands and they is the those are the types of songs that these are the types of songs that can land in like a playlist or like some sort of mix you know which is something i totally. never thought could ever apply to their music but you know the pop thing has always been there and like it's been we can talk about it more but like yeah listening back through their older catalog after sitting with this record i'm like i actually don't think it's as dissimilar as the press release and the the verbiage about it would make it sound like there's always mm-hmm. been there's always been parts in their discography of what we're hearing on this record but it's not been as easily like uh parceled out into these little chunks that you can just like play and be finished you know right yeah i think the thing that catches people a lot off guard and we we should maybe we should start with the self-titled album the mars volta you know the first new material in 10 years and on the surface level, uh, as you're sort of alluding to, appears to be a vastly different record than the ones that we talked about in our last episode. The songs are quite short, is sort of the, the main thing that I think people are responding to. These like really quick, like three minutes at most kind of tunes. But the actual materials, the stuff that's in there, a lot of the time, you know, there's moments where I was like, oh, this, this feels like Octahedron, or oh, this kind of feels like uh, Nocturnicate, but like, focused a bit more you know if if you listen to it in context of their other work sure it doesn't sound like francis the mute but it, it to me it does still feel like the mars volta you know i totally probably don't have as positive of an opinion on this album as uh <laughs> y'all but uh i definitely don't dislike all of it i i really like um you know uh black light shine graveyard love um mm-hmm. the the one long song with the spanish title which i should be remembering right now Que Dios te maldiga mi corazón. Yeah, may God curse my heart. The shortest song on the record. A yeah. minute and 40 seconds. Yep, that song is awesome. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's definitely one of my favorites from the record, too. I like the closing track. I like flash burns from flashbacks. But there's some stinkers. I, I definitely, sure. uh, I like the songwriting and maybe some of the playing more than I like the way that it was presented production-wise. I feel like it, it's so? it's kind of a similar issue to Nocturnicate for me, where I really love Nocturnicate as an album. I think it's great. I like every song. But the way that they kind of like subdued Omar's guitar in the production kind of has not really held up super well over the years, just because like his parts are great, but I feel like they're a little hard to hear. And I feel like on the new mm. one, it's like even more of that, where like the synths are really cranked up, the vocals, the drums, and then like the guitar is just kind of like occasionally popping in and out. And I feel like that's uh yeah, a lot lot more noticeable on this album for me. And you can yeah. tell it's kind of a little intentional for whatever reason. I just feel like that's a thing that if it was a little bit more balanced instrumentally, I wouldn't have maybe had such of an issue, but instead it kind of feels like the guitar is a little bit uh absent from moments where, you know, you could have maybe benefited from hearing it a little more sure yeah i see what you're saying and i i I feel like that's to me at least that's more of an issue on nocturnicate than it is 
the self-titled record because the record, everything about the album is so vocal forward. Yeah. And so like pop oriented where on Nocturnicate, they're still playing these like really elaborate prog rock kind of parts yeah. and, you know, writing these like elaborate prog rock songs. And so there's kind of this clash between the production style and the songwriting. Oh yeah. Whereas definitely. I think on this one, it feels like everyone's kind of on this, like everything's on the same page, even if, that's not always the page I'm interested in reading from their book. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. I just want to hear more Omar, man. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think if it's like you think about Omar's, I think there's ways that they're talking about the process of diving into writing this album together as sort of an extension of Omar's process over the last 10 years with like the Bosnian Rainbow stuff, etc. It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he's... He really gets outside of or has gotten outside of being like a kind of guitar hero yeah. person. Like I remember when I was back in the day, like first, you know, in the like late aughts when I was uh they were still together for the first time, there being this uh I might and we might have touched on this in the last episode, this article I remember reading from uh from Guitar World, where uh Omar was in there was like a profile of like omar and jimmy page and some oh yeah jack white and 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 omar saying something about how like he wished he could take he could have taken all the guitar out of the led zeppelin records like he's like (laughs) i love led zeppelin i wish they they like they would just like mute the guitar i I think he's always had this like weird really fraught relationship with the guitar as an instrument yeah and wanting to kind of get but you know being really interested he always cites like salsa piano players and uh, like every influence he can name except for other guitarists. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that to have achieved his uh, process of like the studio as instrument. And like, there is a ton of Omar because he's composed, he's putting all of this music together. Yeah, definitely. And he is the, like the music half of the collaboration. And, and he just happens to have maybe achieved the like, low guitar mix he's been it's definitely for. uh some sort of response to that i i would agree yeah. with that where he was like you know the guitar is the most important thing in this band i'm gonna have six half stacks you're not gonna hear anyone else on stage it's just me and then he went the whole other direction where he's like the band first me last and it's like mm-hmm. i'd like a nice happy medium somewhere you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> or but sure. it's, it's him but it's him being the composer of Yes, Every other definitely. instrument by the guitar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely, like, a, a very percussion-heavy record to me, too. Like, mm-hmm. the drums and the uh, the percussion really kind of take a lot of the forefront as well, which is another thing that, you know, as we talked about a lot in the last episode, made the Mars Volta particularly distinct yep. against other rock bands in the sort of same circuit as them. So it it does kind of feel like they narrowed in on the stuff that made them, specifically them, and then kind of like diamond crushed it down into like the shortest possible containers, yeah. you know? And there's definitely moments on this album where I'm like, ah, fuck. Like, I wish you just had like two more minutes on this song just yeah. to like dig into that groove, like get weird with the it sounds. It ends a little a too abruptly sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like even the popness of it, I think sort of suffers from the extreme concision that they've applied. Like I get that that's what they're going for, but there are cases even where I feel like, Oh, like one more chorus where you really take this to the next level arrangement wise would actually make them better pop songs yeah, the, than they are currently. The length of the song didn't songs did not really bother me. It was more so just like 
maybe if there were one, you know, seven, eight minute weird track in the middle on top of the pop songs, I, I would have maybe mm-hmm. had a little bit more to, you know, hold on to being a longtime fan. And, you know, just, just one one weird, you know, epic in the middle there. Like even Octahedron had it with right. uh with, with Twilight by her side or I forget what the name of that song is, but yeah, yeah something like that. Like that would have been really nice, but you know, just three minute song after three minute song it just kind of was like similar lengthwise all the way through maybe a little bit more length diversity would have been nice but yeah well mm-hmm. one th- one experience that i've had i ended up actually listening to this record a lot in the latter half of last year like i found it really easy to kind of come back to just like in the similar way of like all the other records of theirs that i've fallen in love with i think it's like and listening to it today was the first time I think I actually tried to pay attention to, like, there's some really great sequencing moments on the record where, like, if you're not paying mm-hmm. attention, it could just, like, the flow is is good enough that it can feel sort of like a little sweet. It's not as, like, clear or dramatic of a sweet as, you know, the way that, like, they break up the parts of, like... Cygnus, Visman Cygnus, you know, because you're like on the track yeah. titles. It's like one, it's a 20, it's a long 20 minute song, but then it has these little Roman numerals that are sort of like arbitrary breakups. It's not like that level of prog like division stuff, mm-hmm. but I think there are some really nice sequencing moments where they feel like the, the three minute songs pair well enough together that if you're not paying attention, it sort of works as a coherent piece to me. Yeah. That's kind of a funny contrast to the thing that you were talking about where it does feel like the most playlist ready Mars Volta record. Like you could take any one of these chunks, but it also works really well in sequence right mm-hmm. so there's so. almost like these kind of playlistable songs that you don't want a playlist because you want to experience it in the order that it's set up in because there is so yeah. much of this momentum that kind of carries you through the record yeah it's funny that you talk you mentioned like the easiness to listen to it again because i feel like that's also something that's really conscious about how the record is constructed and like what tones are favored and whatnot you know, before we recorded, Frank sent over this interview that Cedric and Omar did. By the way, we're just kind of, I'm just going to say this now. Like, if you're not familiar with this band, please listen to the first episode the two of us <laughs> did. Because we're just going to go, like, we're just diving through, you know? Yeah. We're, we're plowing through this thing. We're not going to do any remedial work on this. Like, either get on board or don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it's Cedric and Omar did an interview with Zane Lowe. And one of the first things that Cedric said about the record, it made me dance and it made me cry. Is that the one? Right. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's where they end up with it. But one of the first things he says is, uh, it's our Sunday morning album, mm. you know, oh. like it's kind of, it's the record. It's like an easy to listen to sort of laid back. Yeah. You know, is he, Cedric talks about how like most of the records in his collection that he still listens to are records like that which certainly makes him sound like a dad, which he is, but you know, like there's some, there's a kind of honesty to that. Like, let's make a record that you can like put on while cleaning your house. Yeah. You know, and this, this is the first Mars Volta record that I feel like actually works for that. Like it's peppy. It's got like a nice tempo to it. It's not octahedron where it's all really, really slow and spacey. There's, there is this kind of like pep in its step that makes it propulsive and move forward, but it's way chiller. Yeah. You know, even no matter how complicated the rhythms get or how much stuff is going on, there's almost this like yacht rock relaxed, you know, have like a nice cocktail kind of energy to the record that is makes it very distinct, I think, from the rest of their discography. Right. I, I don't say this 
in any sort of insulting way, but I feel like this is Abuelita's Mars Volta record. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you sure, could throw this yeah. on for your grandma, and she'd be like, oh, this is nice, mijo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, or, I guess that like that's kind of not too dissimilar from us throwing it on the car in, yeah. in the car with <laughs> yeah. non Mars Volta fans. Well, I think that definitely speaks really clearly to like their ambitions as people emotionally. And this mm-hmm. like what the function that this needed to serve for them as friends, and also the kind of energy that they were trying to put out into the world with this record. Yeah, it's like trying to music that can just be in your life rather than it being like an epic fantasy uh, novel that you have to like really dive into, you know? Yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. just, they're not trying to make something as that's so cinematic or like otherworldly. I mean, it's just the clarity of, of uh, the lyric writing for one is just, that's the thing that is actually seems the most different to me about mm-hmm. the way that the music lands uh, mm-hmm. with like listening to them as songs with words apart from any of the sort of like, complexities of musical arrangement etc it's you're actually able to hear pretty clearly sentences being spoken yeah right (laughs) and ones that have like you know where all the the parts of those sentences are where they suppose where they're supposed to be i understand all these words oh yeah i kind of do understand what he's getting at like most of the time on this record like it's not as tricky to suss out right I will say though, one of the moments like, ah, hell yeah, they're back is in one of the singles where he's saying in the chorus, he says centrifugal. Yeah. Like, no oh, yeah. one else would fucking do that. Yeah. Centrifugal. <laughs> like, no one else would do that. Centrifugal <laughs> haze is definitely yeah. like, oh, that's like, if like a, such a, a centricism. Yeah. It's yeah. like if, a, if like AI bot has to like write a Mars to like couplet, it, ha- <laughs> it has something to do with like some vague physics term and like some magic and like, you know. I do like though that even though that is the kind of like most like dorky fantastical hint, it actually feels like still very grounded as a phrase within what he's trying to get at thematically in terms of like he talks a lot about like entropy and like paranoia and the kind Mm. of like the issues of dealing with yourself as like a public figure. And there's this whole, like I maybe one of you could get into a little bit more explicitly, the sort of like personal stuff that uh, Cedric went through in the time leading up to this record, but his like his court case about getting out of the church of Scientology and yeah. so stuff. That's like, it's like actually his real life is as crazy as like one of his, like the plots of one of his former records, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I am not super up. I kind of like, didn't know that he was even involved with the church of Scientology really until this record came out. So I, I know a little bit about it, but from what I understand following this for a few years now, um, the actor, Danny Masterson that played Hyde on that 70s show sexually assaulted Cedric's wife and Whoa. the church of scientology helped cover it up and not only that but they were actually going after them and like intimidating them to not come forward right. about it and yeah. that's that's basically Holy the shit. yeah the gist of it was his wife in the film television industry in some way or was it just like a i do not know I, i'm not familiar okay, yeah. with who his wife is to be honest um mm-hmm. i just know that because he had mentioned that and that they were in the middle of the you know, court case and that, yeah, that was really how I found out about it. 
And like somebody, like the Church of Scientology or somebody in like who wanted to intimidate them, like you said, yeah, killed their dog. Yeah, yeah. Or so, that yeah. was another thing that they said, yeah. yeah. <sighs> Holy fuck. There's a lot of very paranoid lyrics on this record, you know, and it's the kind of thing where it's possible. Cedric says this and it's it's sort of a almost a quote from gravity's rainbow. It's kind of one of the things from gravity's rainbow that's entered the public consciousness without really being, you know, acknowledged as such, but like, it's possible both to be paranoid and to be correct that people are, you know, coming down on you and chasing you and boxing you in. There's all the stuff about like not answering the phone, not answering the door. Yeah. Right. You know, like this, this kind of sense of like, I don't know what is out there that might want to hurt me and my family, which you know, obviously all of the Mars Volta records have this kind of dark, violent edge to them on yeah. some level, but this is one where it feels like, you know, it's not some cursed Ouija board. It's right. Some it's scary a, ass rich people. Yeah, from LA, scary real you know? life paranoia. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like it also kind of speaks to kind of the realities of like the world over the last few years. It's like the, 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 the like the science fiction quality of like the COVID era and Mm. Or in the political situation over the last, you know, 10 years in America, really. I, it's, I like that they're, they're, the, the energy that they're contributing to that time that we're living in is sort of recognizing, like, this is already weird enough, what's going on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't have to make this some sort of, like, puzzle that you have to unlock to understand, because we're living in a time that feels like, you know a nonsense cut up version of reality. Yeah. You know, like the abstraction isn't necessary because we're already living in it to some extent. We're in the weird. We should talk maybe a bit about like the promotional element for this record too. Like there's like the, the music videos that preceded it that I think gave an interesting impression of the record going forward. Yeah. Like the first single was the first track. Black light um, shine. And even though the song is only like two minutes and 55 seconds, the video is 11 minutes long. Cause it's all shot down in Puerto Rico and black and white with all these like local percussionists and this whole dance sequence that happens. I thought that was such a cool way to both like, here's the actual song. Yeah. And if you want some extended Mars Volta shit, here Incredible you go. Video. You know, I loved it. Yeah. We're, we're going to step out of it and just let these people take over and like show if you're going to be down with the Mars Volta, you have to be kind of down with this stuff too. You know? Yeah. On one hand, I really love the video. I love the song. But on the other hand, it was like I heard that song and saw the video and kind of got an idea. I was like, they're like kind of bringing the Latin element back. And I was really excited to hear mm -hmm. that. And then when you hear the full record, there isn't as much of that all over. It's like, you know, sprinkled here and there. But I think that that is the first single maybe gave me a different impression just for that reason. Yeah. And like the, the other videos that they've also shot were also... It's, it seems to be like the major visual theme for this record is, is Puerto Rico yeah. and the, you know, the black and white flag in particular, which is a pretty loaded political image. Yeah. I, that's something that is like nice to see that like, I don't usually think of the Mars Volta as an, an explicitly political band, Yeah, but to kind of come back and in the same way that Frank was talking about responding to the political moment and the kind of like extremity of the moment to have them literally plant their flag and say like, this is where we stand. Yeah. You know, either you're in or you're out. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think that's like a, a really encouraging thing to see. Cause like we all know there's many musicians that have, you know, tripped over their own dicks in 
expressing themselves about political issues yeah, lately. Definitely. So just an, 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 a nice single image that kind of shows you what's up is like, yeah, cool. I love that. Also, I thought it was interesting that the uh, the drummer that played on the record, you know, mm-hmm. was is from Puerto Rico. I had never like heard of him or anything, but uh, uh, I really like, you know, his contributions to the record. I was like, I thought it was a really interesting move to just have like, you know, a new a new drummer from maybe a different style of music play for them and then just like not play again live. But yeah, right. I think I think that was like a like a, a big element of why Blacklight Shine percussively was kind of cool, you know, because you totally. could tell it, it had that yeah. authentic like Puerto Rico percussion, you know, element to it. So the drummer on the record uh, is Willie Rodriguez, who is another Berkeley alum. So oh, he okay. shares that in common Ooh. with uh, Thomas Pridgen at a nice. previous Mars Volta drummer. Very different drummer. Sounds nothing yeah. like Thomas Pridgen. You <laughs> yeah. know? Uh, this record would not be as good. As much as I love Thomas Pridgen, I don't think this record would be as much of itself. Yeah. Uh, had him on it for example from sort of the brief research i could do willie rodriguez he's like very accomplished very much like a latin drummer first and foremost like played in the like the you know latin american idol it kind of sounded like was he was the drummer for those kind of things which means that dude can learn shit really fucking fast yeah because everything everything that i know about like the american idol band process is you've got to learn like 50 songs in 10 minutes like that's the kind of shit that they're on Damn, um, yeah. So th- that dude can definitely play super decorated player uh and is it's kind of interesting cuz you know I f- I felt like for a long time my perception of like the kind of players that you'd need for the Mars Volta are these like, you know, insane power rock drummers or like super shred gods, but it's like actually all the really good studio dudes can do this too. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um if given the shot and I think he knocks it out of the park. He's a really terrific drummer. Did not go on tour with them though, so yeah, we'll, we'll get yeah. to that when we get to the reunion shows. Yeah, but um, anything else from the the liner notes of who played on the self titled that uh, we should touch on? New bassist, Ava Gardner, back yeah. at it, right? The legend, um, the bassist yeah. of Pink is now the bassist of the Mars Volta again. <laughs> yep, full circle. And then Marcel is back on extra percussion as well yeah. on uh, on this record. Uh, Marcel actually plays keys on the record. Uh, oh, okay. And then they got a different keyboardist live. Uh, but Marcel is still playing some keys live, but he's doing percussion too, mainly. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a pretty tight unit for the record. Um, it sounded like they kind of put it together piece by piece. It wasn't like a live band sort of thing. Yeah. And the sort of like flying back and forth between LA and New York to do vocals and then finish up like the instrumental stuff in New York and then doing Cedric's vocals in LA. Yeah. So it's much more of like a kind of almost a pop production style too, in terms of like how the record was constructed, which is all, you know, it fits in with the sort of insane shit that Omar did for all of their records. It's like, of course he can figure out how to do it a different way. Yeah. But yet again, another way that this album feels distinct from the rest of their discography. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I think in general, the whole production in terms, I feel like there's been so many, like, especially when Thomas Pridgen was in the band, it was so drum forward production wise. And I feel mm-hmm. like it's just like the choices could not have been better in terms of servicing the overall mix and balance, like the playing on this record. It's like all, all very coherent I'm actually I didn't do enough research to really dig into the names here, but the whoever did the uh, the mixing and just the like empirical 
home stretch uh, of producing this record did a really incredible job. It's a really great headphone listen, so detailed and like despite having that like very kind of chilled out quote unquote quality, it has like a lot of like. It was actually Omar, I, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He mastered as well. Uh, actually, no. Mar- uh, Marcel engineered and mixed. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh wow. So yeah. d- keeping it in the family. Yep. Um, yeah. I know Chris Commons was apparently an engineer for part of it too. Oh, shout out Chris Common. Yeah, he was. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, it, again, I think that kind of probably has something to do with the fact that it's a bunch of different sessions all over the place. So it might not be the same person behind the board in each given part of the process. But even so then the uh the the coherence sonically, like the the sort of space that it's able to maintain throughout, I think is really one of the things that keeps me kind of coming back to it as like a coherent piece it's got like a really pretty consistent level of like detail and depth and i think like with when the arrangements have more space like they do i think that gives more room to kind of hear the like the you know the timbral like richness that they're really trying to focus on i think yeah it's funny that like i made that sort of offhand comment in the last episode about Cedric and Omar being kind of like Walter Becker and Donald Fagan from Steely Dan, because this <laughs> album actually kind of feels a bit like a Steely Dan <laughs> record. Steely Dan <laughs> the other thing that uh, the, you're talking about, like going circling back to sort of like you're talking about, want to talk about the promotional rollout for this. I mean, it's sort of crazy to think about, you know, be conscious of the fact that they were really working on this, this material as far back as 2019 and mm. we really didn't start to see rumblings that this might even be a possibility until early 2021. Seeing, you know, that cube that showed up in the middle of L.A. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like that was like that. I mean, the, what I, I think we, we've had a group chat pretty consistently since the last first episode of just like Mars Volta related stuff. And I, I think I remember when they announced that box of the career spanning box set, I was like, they're going to reunite. Like, yeah, there's gonna be <laughs> there's gonna be another record. Like no one's gonna put out like a 21 LP box set or ever how many it was, and there not be plans for like future the stuff. Cloud Hill Factory like, is cooking. Totally. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It's like a really nice. I think they played into the anticipation that all fans have had for them to do stuff. They played into it really tastefully in general. I thought it's like they did enough. They did all their fan service in the hype up to the the reunion, and then none of it in the like execution of what people might want if if those fans are wanting another like Delouse or Francis. They're like, we'll give you guys this like mysterious cube, but uh, <laughs> we, there's going to be a bunch of pop songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps then it's important to talk about the next step in promotion, which is hitting the road. I'm excited to hear about y'all's experience at the shows. I've heard a little because bit. That's, that's where the fan service really kicked in, at yeah. least in my experience. Definitely. So I've got the set list from the New York show pulled up. It sounded like they were pretty consistent across the whole run. Yeah. But do you want to start with your experience first, Jonathan? Sure. Yeah. Uh, let me actually pull mine up, even though I more or less remember it. But uh, it's nice to consult. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I saw them at Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, which is a venue I've been going to for a long time. I had never seen the Mars Volta before that time, so it was like a big deal That's for me awesome. for sure. I I had chances to see them in the past, and I like for one reason or another just couldn't go or didn't go, and then they broke up, and then I always regretted it. So for me, it was this big, you know, 
I'm finally getting the chance to see it. They better not disappoint, you know? And I, so there was like a, a level of being hesitant to see them, to see if it would, you know, be the right iteration for me to, you know, have my Mars Volta live experience. So yeah, that, that kind of nervousness was completely gone by the time I saw them start playing. Yeah, they, they opened with Vicarious Atonement, which I never thought I would ever see them play live, even though mm-hmm. I would have liked kind of going back to what we were talking about before. They It seemed like they were kind of getting rid of some parts and, and sort of streamlining the songs down in a way where like I would have liked to hear you know the full arrangement. And, and that was kind of like the song I had the biggest complaint about in that respect. But mm-hmm. regardless, mm-hmm. sick opener, great to see them play it. They played... Pretty much almost all DeLoust and Francis material, save for Vicarious Atonement from Amputecture, uh, Empty Vessels Make the Loudest Sound from Nocturnicate, which was also crazy to see them play. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. you know, the two songs they played from the new album. So other than that, like literally all material that I was dying to see my entire life. So uh, in particular, I was really, really excited to see Cygnus and Elvia live because those were both like life-changing experiences to see so and and overall i think the band has never sounded you know better in in such a far removed time from when they last toured like who would have ever thought that you know they would have brought it back to this level like you know i saw that at the driving reunion it was mostly pretty good but it was like the element we were talking about last time where you can kind of tell that they maybe weren't 100% into it or maybe didn't have the passion that the fans did. Whereas with this tour, like, I feel like they totally had it. And Cedric especially, like, I don't know what that guy did, but man, like, he killed it, like, more than I've ever seen him play live. Yeah, his, his vocals were just completely on point, like, almost at a level, I think, that maybe surpasses back in the day. I would go as far as to say that. <laughs> Maybe the energy was there back in the day, but in terms of actual, you know, his his pitch, his like performance, like I really love what he's been doing on this recent tour. So yeah, I can a hundred percent co-sign. Like the biggest question mark I had going in, and maybe like if I'm being honest, one of the reasons I didn't jump on a ticket myself, other than prohibitive cost, was like, ooh how is Cedric going to sound was like the kind of the big question. Yeah. Especially when you hear like, Oh, they're doing all almost all deloused shit. It's like, that is like a recipe for potential disaster to do like, Oh, let's sing the parts on, you know, that were the highest. And when I was the youngest of any of the material we do. And yet he sounded, I think better than like, definitely better than the last time I saw them in 2008. Yeah. And like better than any of the live footage, any of the like studio footage, uh, definitely like live TV footage. He sounded amazing. Yes. Like a- any of the kind of complaints that people have about like shrillness or off pitch or whatever, the dude just must've put in a lot of work. It definitely seems like they've got, they're doing a lot less drugs these days. <laughs> yeah. And there's just this kind of like self possession and like confidence in the way that he was singing that. Yeah struck me as like a, a noticeable difference from the Mars Volta 1.0. Yeah. And uh, the only other point I kind of wanted to bring up, which, you know, I'm just a broken record at this point, but I feel like at the show, a lot of the parts 
you know, I know all of these parts by heart just from listening to them so much. So like you hear mm-hmm. a song, you're you're like, okay, that's where this little guitar fill is. Okay, that's where this little, you know, weird effect yeah. is. And like they were kind of streamlining it down in a way where like mm-hmm. I don't know if it was to to allow Omar to play simpler parts and not have to, you know, worry about so much craziness live or if he just wanted, you know, a more streamlined version of something that people were familiar with but i felt like that was kind of inconsistent sometimes because sometimes they were making it we're going to play the same complex song the exact same way that you were hearing it and another song would be we're playing the same song you know but the guitar is just different and everything else is exactly the same and that mm-hmm. kind of was the one tiny nitpick i had with it which isn't a big nitpick like i just you know i just wanted to hear that's the songs in the way that I knew them, which was the case other than that. But yeah, otherwise I was completely satisfied. Fantastic set list, fantastic performance, great new lineup. I'm looking forward to seeing them again with Ava Gardner. She was not with them because Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters had passed away that week and she was in LA playing his tribute show. So they had mm. uh, Josh from Pussifer, the bassist of Pussifer, filled in. He did an uh-huh. excellent job, especially for someone that was just filling in for a few shows. But yeah, that that was basically my experience. Wow. Uh, I did not know that particular wrinkle about Taylor Hawkins' death, but yeah. that so much of this band's history is marked by death, yeah. you know, in one way or another, that that's just like another thing about like, man, that's wild. Death or tragedy, um, yeah. It's it's very, yeah for real very wild and and uh, th- this is a tiny little aside but I feel like it it's worth mentioning but uh, Juan Alderete the Alderete the the bassist longtime bassist of the Mars Volta he was mm-hmm. in a really serious bike accident uh, about uh, the start of the pandemic so I want to say the start of 2020 and he was mm-hmm. uh, in a coma he like could not move he wasn't you know he was very limited physically and stuff and the dude is back at it now he's like playing music, doing whatever, still got, you know, some limitations, but I'm really glad that he's not one of those, you know, in it, in a, the realm of tragedy of this band, you know, glad that guy is still with us. Shout out Juan. I was always a big fan of his. Um, I understand that. I I mean, they, there's been, they had sort of a falling out, right? The, the Mars Volta and him, or was it more of like a speculative? I don't, I don't really know any, any, uh, concrete details, but yeah, it seems like it. Well, regardless, I yeah, I definitely the whole era where he was holding it down, I was always like pretty formative for me as a bassist, kind of seeing someone operating on that level. Yeah, same. So glad to glad to hear he's back at it. Um, so did you guys have pretty similar set lists? It sounds like I think so. Yeah, it sounds like it's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that the differences would probably be in the jam sequences. Uh, of course, in the yeah. show, I saw some videos of some pretty burning guitar solo like it like improv like improvised sections from omar and just the whole ensemble you know his his ability to sort of conduct from stage seems like it has not uh gone away yeah definitely an incredible group of musicians again shouts out to the the drummer i really hope i do not mispronounce this name so my apologies if i do philo songui yep who is like uh, from the classical music world originally, like was a classical percussionist who's also played like on a bunch of interesting kind of forward thinking pop records 
Like she's also drummed for Moses Sumney, for example. Yeah. And I think there's there's definitely some interesting, you know, singers with very high voices and very ambitious <laughs> concepts for their records. Like, you know, there's some crossover there. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. I thought she killed it. I thought she was fucking amazing. She was um, excellent. Yeah. Fantastic. And I, I do. I, it would have been really cool if it was also Ava Gardner to have like uh, as much as we talked about, like the diversity of the Mars Volta lineup before. It was definitely a dudes kind of yeah. club for a yeah, while definitely. there. Yeah. So to have like two women on stage, like holding down the, the rhythm section would have been really fucking sick. But yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I am Next happy time. that we got the tour that we got, you know? Yeah. So, no Next complaints. tour. We'll, we'll get to see it. Hopefully. What mm-hmm. two songs from the new record did they play? Black Light, uh, Graveyard and, Love. Yeah. Yeah. Graveyard. And, and Black the Light. The singles. The singles. Um, yeah. wh- how did, what was the crowd reaction like to the, those tunes in Chicago? Uh, I think Black Light Shine got a pretty intense reaction. A lot of people, you know, dance and sing along, whatever. Graveyard Love. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really tell either way. Like, it seemed like people liked it, though. It wasn't like, you know, nobody was like, ugh, the new songs. People were like, okay, cool. You know, there's two new songs, and then we get the Laust and Francis. So I don't think anyone was really, you know, complaining. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely a good right. energy overall in the crowd and, and reception to it. Were they played back to back? Because they really work back to back on the record. Uh, Weirdly, no, they they're played, not. Yeah, they played Graveyard. Okay. Love Graveyard, first. Graveyard Love was really early in the set. Blacklight Shine came after Cygnus, at least in New York. So that was kind of like you might want to break. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a chill, danceable song, like right in between Cygnus and Drunk Ship of Lanterns. So it's like, Fuck. yeah, you can't do those two back to back. You know. I would say the most muted reaction, at least in New York, came from the Nocturnicate tune, Empty Vessels. Yep. Mm-hmm. I thought it sounded really cool live, but it definitely was like, this is not really the the vibe of the rest of the show. It felt the most like, hey, let's, let's do a Nocturnicate song. You yeah, know? it stood out in that way. And I also think Nocturnicate might be the album, Mars Volta album, fans are least excited and familiar with. Myself not included in that, but uh, it was also interesting to see it played without DeAnthony Parks because I feel like his playing is like so crucial to the vibe of that record. And then, like right. you know, no no shade to the new drummer; she was absolutely fantastic, and I think she did a great job. But that was the the thing that I think made it kind of like the the black sheep of the set list. But at the same time, you know, I respect the move, like playing one random Nocturnicate song that seemed like a really intentional move on their part you know mm-hmm. uh, kind of a deep cut from that record too like yeah, they didn't go with yeah. one of the singles they were just definitely like, not one people listen to that often yeah it, it's not it seemed like it was the song that they're the proudest of from yes record, you know yeah. and it's like a bit of an eat your vegetables moment where we're like look yeah. we know you're not as into <laughs> this one but trust us this song is really good yeah yeah definitely so we got one track from Amputecture, one from nocturnicate nothing from bedlam yeah. Nothing from Bedlam. Bedlam. N- yeah, nothing from Octahedron. Yeah. That's so interesting because I you know, it's it's so encouraging to me that like to hear this set list and to hear them talk about the place that they've arrived at as artists and friends, it's like really digging back into that early history that is so clearly like the fan favorite stuff just cut sort of signals this level of like peace 
with it. There's no more like hand wringing about like, oh, we're that you know needing to constantly evolve and constantly like battle yourself. It's just like, no, mm-hmm. this is actually the stuff that is like canon and great, and we're yeah. just gonna lean into it. I think that that's there's a type of self acceptance there that's I think really special and yeah. sort of characteristic of the way that they're approaching themselves in this the new record. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In that same Zane Lowe interview, uh, during a particularly en- entertaining stretch of that interview for me, they start talking about Metallica for like a long time in this <laughs> interview. And apparently James Hetfield was like, are you guys going to, you know, they like met backstage at some festival and James Hetfield was like, are you guys going to play, uh, you know, entry attic? And they're like, no, we don't do that song anymore. You know, it's, that's our old stuff. We don't play it. And then apparently like Omar sat in for some Metallica rehearsal where they busted out a cover. Of it. Oh yeah. my God. Like, what? I yeah, love I that interview. If they were going to play Inertiatic and they said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Zane Lowe interview, by the way. I think it, it really, I mean, Zane Lowe was sort of aggravating to listen to in a lot of parts of it, but I think they, they really talk about a lot of questions that I think like longtime fans or address a lot of questions about yeah. the way that they probably because in ways that they probably weren't able to answer those questions back in the day. It seems like mm-hmm. the way that they've matured as men, honestly, like they, t- I feel like they talk a lot about their own like masculinity and their issues with addiction and like breaking the cycle as a father and things. And yeah, definitely um, right. heavy, heavy topics, like heavy stuff. That's ex- it's expressed in a way that's just like, yeah, I've clearly thought about this a lot. Like none of the questions about those really deep talk, to- topics seem to catch either of them by surprise you know mm-hmm. it's yeah. like oh yeah though this is something that we've definitely addressed and yeah it's like been examined yeah, there's a moment where cedric tears up talking about when they got back together basically uh and it, it's it was it's this moment where omar met his children for the first time and i found that so interesting that like that's the moment where he kind of got overwhelmed by the experience of thinking about it something like this sort of this parallel that they talk about in that interview of the two of them being essentially brothers, you know, this kind of twin connection that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being able to then sort of see the a cycle continue and that being the moment where it's like, a, you know, it's, it, it lends this kind of, we have to do it for the kids sort of thing in like a positive, not like a cynical way to the whole yeah. project. It's like, this is a family thing now. Really different. You know? Uh, interview energy in that interview than you had seen right. from them in the past yeah it was also i, I don't know if it, maybe it just jumped out to me this time but like there's of course the fact that they look different right like yeah they're older but also like omar's voice has changed in a really interesting way yeah like you could tell that he was like not living in the states for yep. a long time Mm-hmm. Like there's a moment where he says cliche and he says cliche. Yeah. <laughs> cliche. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. Like there, like there's so much life that has been lived now. Yeah. Between that old era and this new era, like, and just going back to that, that sense of, um, I don't know. I've got a whole thing that I've, I, I've got stored up in me that I, I don't want to unleash all of it at once, but I'll, I'll, I'll start phrasing it out in a question. Like, why do you think why do you think they went with so much deloused material in particular? Like why make that the focus of the reunion? Like what's what's your take on that? I have an answer. I don't know if Frank wants to go first or I I I just kind of was thinking about this when they reunited and a part of me was convinced that they missed playing deloused because mm-hmm. 
Mars Volta was a, always a band that was either in the current era or in their next era when they were touring already. And they did not have much nostalgia or re- revisiting material that was popular. They kind of were just doing their own thing or playing the next thing before it was even released. You know, like a lot of bands in that realm do. And I feel like Deloused, they maybe only played it in the start of the band, you know, in the, the tour after Deloused, maybe during the Francis era. And then around about Amputecture, maybe a little bit after, even Bedlam, they kind of just stopped playing a lot of that material and like just kind of fell out of rotation. And I feel like if, you know, 10 years on, you're reuniting your band and you're like, what do people want to hear? What material do we miss? I feel like Delouse kind of falls into both of those categories. Yeah, I, I think that, and Frank, you sort of said earlier that it seems like a, a, a measure of self-acceptance, right? Yeah, I think it's just sort of like reckoning with your legacy and sort of it's sort of a really unique position to be in to have taken such a space from your band and then say okay, we can assess this objectively and like what is the uh what's the like library of congress level like contribution that we've made <laughs> to culture mm-hmm. and it's it's that it's that record and I think there's sort of a like a painful thing that goes with having that be your first record and needing to then continue to still be in the like that cycle of career you know without a pause i think it takes really maybe a break to be able to say like okay we don't have to prove we've proven a, a full sentence of a statement as a, of a career what was the like highlight of that and mm-hmm. i think it, there's no shame in saying it's like well the first thought was the best thought or at least it was the one that like most accurately summarized like what we were the intention frank was saying about a level of acceptance and i feel like that's kind of an interesting thought because they were always very rebellious about their legacy you know right at least it seemed that Mm -hmm. way where people were like delouse is your best record and they're like okay we're not playing anything off of it and like right now the kind of reception to it seems to be the exact opposite where they're like oh you guys like this okay cool we'll play a bunch of it and like that's such an interesting mm-hmm. change for them. I saw a video of them. Did they encore with Interiactic at your shows? Yeah, it yeah. was it's, it was definitely like a planned encore kind of thing. Right, they, they but, closed it with like Televators and then come back with you know the intro into the song. So the sick to, to have the encore of your show be like the first, the beginning of the first album. You know, like yeah. that's so that's sort of like really sort of like allows you this sort of like cyclical momentum like that must have felt yeah. so cool for you guys to like oh yeah have that and then be like okay now it's over so awesome. like, what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> like but i saw a video of him um of of cedric sort of like there's the, you know the intro keyboard riff that like ostinato thing and he's like talk he's very explicitly talking about how like this is for you guys this is for us and like encouraging people to like clap along and like really yeah. engage and like be like a like a not like a fuck you you like this being like all right yes this is us yeah this is for you you know that's so sick and that's just like the sign of a very mature performer i think like yeah yeah, he's he's being an entertainer but that that which i think probably when he was a younger man he he's a punk and so he thinks that like entertainers are fakes but like i think (laughs) it's it must be cool to recognize that like the people that you're entertaining are people who like love your shit (laughs) and like who have a lot of respect for you and it's not like phony the people who are coming to those shows are like 
real heads so yep mm-hmm. that's gotta feel really great and like I agree to be able to take to be able to take full advantage of that like i think the type of person that he is now would say like it would be disrespectful almost to like not do the fan service yeah. or something you yeah know? i'm glad you you highlighted the um the entertainerness and the, the contrast in the way that he carried himself on stage because in addition to his voice being different you know he's like practically a 50 year old man. So he's not running around, jumping off amps and freaking out and flying around yeah. you know, in the same way that he was. But I don't know if it, if this struck you the same way, but it seemed like he really found ways to be like an old school entertainer. There's yes. all these like really dramatic, like held poses yeah. and stuff like that, where he would like just sort of feel like represent this like huge wave of feeling in the music. And instead yes. of like letting it, physically move him around he would just like it's not like an explosion it was like more of a controlled kind of like yeah like a like a crooner you know lounge singer mm-hmm. sort of some vibe and shit. cool lighting yeah. cool smoke <laughs> like he's got yeah, a little blazer definitely. on <laughs> yeah <laughs> right they're, now they're a blazer and fedora band yeah, yeah. like <laughs> Their hair is way shorter, but Omar's got his his little you know hat. And o- tight Omar's in neck. his Omar's in his Theo era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Ready to play some dominoes. I, you know, I, like I saw them in Terminal Five, which is not a cool venue at all. I really don't like <laughs> Terminal Five. But the kind of interesting thing about it is it's in Hell's Kitchen, which for a long time in in New York was like a predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood. Oh uh, yeah, is not that's not really the case anymore, uh, at least to my knowledge, because you know it's right by Midtown and money expands and people leave. Yeah, but there was something like really, really powerful to me about going to you know the long walk from the train to Terminal Five. You have to walk through Hell's Kitchen basically, oh. and thinking like, okay, well, there's so much that has gone like so much of the story of you know real estate in new york is like everything that you love vanishes everything everything gets pushed out but here in this you know giant corporate boring ass rock venue with 12 dollar beers there it is on stage the puerto rican flag covering the amp yeah and so much of that that there's something about the you know I'm trying, I'm going to try not to get too emotional about this, but it is really not a given that these guys were going to do this. Like that thing that we talked about, the amount of death and loss that surrounds this band, the amount of drugs that they've done, the amount of members that have, you know, passed away, um, or nearly passed away. Like it is really not a given that they were going to be up on stage and like still doing this at all. Yeah. And so to kind of have this, like, I just sort of felt like this really intense mix of like, yeah, sure. Like things cycle out, things vanish, but stuff, some stuff remains, you know, Yeah. like they're able to like, no, like there is something true. They're, 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 they're connected to some sort of true lineage of like Latin American rock in America here in hell's kitchen. And they're still here. Um, when there's so many opportunities for them to not be here anymore. Um, it was a similar moment for me. Yeah. There's even, I think something to the fact that it's all deloused material, which is, you know, the, a dead friend record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, uh, and, and Francis too. You know, what, yeah. And Francis too. And like, they didn't play it, but like 
a palm of crux from the new record is like really explicitly about uh jeremy ward yeah and i haven't really talked about this much in in podcasts uh and i I think frank can probably tell where i'm going with this but like this is the first time i'd really like listened to a lot of deloused since a, a very close friend of mine died the previous winter um and it struck me how much more powerful it is for them to play these songs about someone they've lost this much later in their lives, mm. you know, like the pain of losing a friend is not something that you just experience once on one record. Like it's something yeah. that stays with you and to have this reunion tour and play all of these songs and particularly ending with televators, which, um, I don't know. I cried. I'm, I'm happy to oh, yeah. admit Same. that I, I, was definitely weeping um during that one and the sort of like the ability to carry on a legacy and to continue to remember someone mm. yes decades later there's so much power to that there's there's Absolutely. so much resonance to that and i think i i imagine that for them playing those songs now there must be some sense of renewal of, of renewed purpose for what that music is meant to do. Definitely. Like if the Mars Volta are going to be back, they're going to continue to say like, no, this is for the dead homies, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and I don't say that lightly. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I, I I didn't really have a a good way out of that, but I think that there's, that's really absolutely worth mentioning. Yeah. Totally. Very particular to this tour, very much part of the experience. And yeah, just the experience of like hearing all these people singing along to lyrics that sound like absolute gobbledygook if you don't (laughs) know how to read between the lines. And yet everyone knows every word of it, you know, every multisyllabic, you know, textbook term that Cedric was singing out there. Everyone knows him, you know? Yeah. Another thing uh, for me that was special kind of going off of that, you know, I had mentioned this in the last episode, but for me growing up, like Mars Volta was like a weird hybrid point for me as you know a latin american person that also loved Prague, and it was mm-hmm. so, so hard to find a you know medium point between those two worlds of my life and they were always kind of that and going to see them live and seeing them play all this music and kind of like being in a room and looking around and you know seeing all these you know fellow latinx people i was just like really hyped about that and then looking around mm-hmm. and seeing everyone singing in English and then the Spanish parts would hit and you look around and you see all the non Latinx people just, you know, quiet. And then everybody else is screaming all the Spanish lyrics. Like that's kind of an awesome moment. And that was really cool to see and something I kind of just always wanted from their shows. So, yeah. Yeah. At least in my experience, like the, the first show that I saw them at, it was a bunch of white dudes on drugs. It was yeah. Like the vibe yeah. in the room. This time around, I don't know whether it's just, you know, you know, the fact that it's a reunion tour, the fact that I've seen them in New York, not to denigrate Chicago, of course, but it was a way more diverse crowd. This Absolutely. Time like, yeah, way, way more diverse. Like definitely saw the like there was a moment during one of the the much weirder long jam. There was definitely a moment where it was like the vibe check of the show where it's yeah. you know, straight up noise and you know, no form at all where I was, you know, grinning bringing it back to, to scab dates. <laughs> yeah. And this like other group of like, you know, 
white hipsters were like, this guy gets it. Like, <laughs> pointed at me and said that. They, then they had a very, they, they were less uh, uh, enthused or <laughs> didn't know how to react when I started reacting to Televators a song later. But hey, <laughs> we're all on our own trip. But like, yeah, the vibe was so much different and so much more diverse. Uh, and like, not even just like white versus uh, Latinx, but you know, like a bunch of like, South Asian guys were there. I saw this like incredibly stylish couple from Japan. You could tell oh, uh, that had, like, clearly just for flown in for the gig. Yeah. yeah, it was like it was so cool because it felt like the sort of utopian vision that the Mars Volta presented that the media just did not get yeah. at the time has like right. really come to fruition. So briefly, we should probably talk about the ways in which we were right and that you know, the media is finally catching up with, with us <laughs> and our <laughs> takes about the Mars Volta. Did you all get a chance to read the reviews of uh, the new record or, or any of the sort of coverage about them? I did read some. Yeah. I, I read some. Yeah. I think it was like generally, I guess maybe in my life, I'm more aware now than I used to be of like, just like the power of the copy that you put into a press release uh, <laughs> and, and how like, uh, you know, transmutable that is to like everyone's takes about it but Mm -hmm. um i you know the the it's like they did what some of the critics wanted them to do which is to like tone down those parts of that like perceived obscurity and like pretentiousness but i also i liked how the they kind of got tied into like the legacies of some other like former proggers turned pop people like the emphasis on the peter gabriel stuff i think is really interesting I kind of wish they'd talk more about that because there, there's a, there's a whole other conversation to be had about you know th- that Peter Gabriel specifically and his sort of like like white savior vibe about like quote unquote world music and uh, sure. integrating yeah, that which yeah. I'm not saying that isn't necessarily to say that's a problem with his attitude as an artist but it's definitely the perception of that and like the Paul Simon Graceland thing about like integrating rhythms from Latin America and Africa. Yeah, and the the fact that uh, Ian, you made the comment in the chat about how like every article here talks about the Caribbean rhythm influence, and it's like mm-hmm. you know the things. Does, does this journalist actually know what a Caribbean rhythm is, or is they just saw that in the press yeah, release? Which one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, but um, you know, the, there is an interesting uh thing to be said about their value of being like non-white artists who are doing and participating in that and it's obviously always been a presence in their music but to have it be so explicitly stated in the copy that they wanted to have out in the world about it is is cool to me and sort of flips the script about what it means to become more pop or accessible and widen the the uh circus tent as you will Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's interesting comparing the critical reception to like what is what is their most beloved records uh and how even back then when their fans, the people that like actually listened to them, had such a positive reception to it, and even a good amount of critics, but there was still, you know, a lot of those loud voices that were like, "This man sucks," like whatever, of their you know most beloved material. And then you compare that to like taking an album like the new one, which has proven to be very divisive, and kind of like taking that lens, and it's still people saying this sucks and people saying wow this is amazing but then there's kind of a little bit more nuance in there because of the fact that the record like the approach of the record is like completely different and reading the uh reviews it's kind of like 
regardless of the opinion of the reviewer, I felt like there was still like it's just a really confusing critical reception in general like it's just very all mm. over the place it, it was really hard for yeah. me to just kind of water down like wow people liked this record or wow people hated this record it was like very very mixed uh but in a way that kind of like showed the diversity of of the reception to it i don't know sure yeah no i think you're onto something there like it does feel like the fan reaction to the record is different than the critical one but even that the critical one allows for nuance, like the pitchfork for review in particular was like such an interesting read because it, it didn't score much higher than the older records. Like they still haven't crossed the Peppa Pig line. I don't think, <laughs> but um, you could tell that the person that wrote this review actually like knew what they were talking about and yeah. like actually cared about the band's material and legacy and may not have liked this particular record, but like took them very seriously. Totally. It wasn't just a chance for them to dunk on them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the funniest review was absolutely the NME review, which is like five <laughs> out of five, you know, definitely Isn't felt their like, finest hour. Maybe yeah. it's like, cool, man. <laughs> it's maybe the cleanest hour that they've ever had. <laughs> it's basically like if the achievement is like doing all the things that we're talking about, like, I don't think that this record, this record is really hard to assess and almost impossible to assess outside of the self self-referentiality, even because it being like a self-titled record and, the whole kind of gesture with it being a reunion record, like it's so hard to sort of take it out of context with all that stuff. So like mm -hmm. if it's achievements are to be judged on their ability to pull all those threads together, like artistically, emotionally, and like, you know, and, and, and create a statement that feels as clean as it does, uh, then it's like, it scores really high, but I, it's hard to imagine this record being, like a new band making its first record and there, anyone really even like noticing it almost. Yeah. yeah. The enemy review to me seemed like, Oh fuck, we were very wrong about this band in the past and we need to make up for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, really establishing that we like them now. Well, that's what I'm saying is that like, it's even, it's hard for the, none of the reviews ignore that at all. Mm -hmm. They always, they talk about like, they always did this. There's always a, like, there's like a passing sentence or acknowledgement of like a, 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 re a slight reappraisal of like in the past, they did this thing, blah, blah. And like mm -hmm. talking about it in terms of subverting expectations, etc. They sort of reference their own like wrongness or at least not even, if not their wrongness, then the existence of their past. Listen, they were always right. right. They were always on board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny that like, you know, one of those new trends that, that publications do, of like, here are the reviews that we got wrong from the past. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, man, none of your Mars Volta reviews are in there, but they really should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really should be, dude. Yeah. But now I'm excited. You know, I guess like we, we've, we've been talking long enough and it seems like, as we said at the beginning, that there's a good chance that this is going to keep going. So people will have a lot of opportunities to continue to reappraise this material and, and consider this band going forward. What do you want to see as a Mars Volta fan from this new revived back in action Mars Volta? Like where, where would you want this to go personally? I, uh, I just would like to see them play more shows. Honestly, yeah. like mm -hmm. I think, you know, I don't want them to see, I don't want, there's only so long that they can do the show where then they're like, they're playing the old stuff and just a few new songs and really like 
I'd like to see them like get into a rhythm where they're playing shows and like continue to release material, but like still sort of without shedding that old part of themselves. Like I'd like to see shows and tours happen where, you know, you still get to hear like Drunk Ship of Lanterns and Interiatic ESP, but then there's maybe more material that like gets into that zone where they're able to stretch out and kind of collaborate more widely i think that they they really have a strength and omar's definitely proven his strengths of being able to like be an auteur and uh take in other people who want to work with him and i'd I'd like to see that sort of integrate into the band and uh them flesh out arrangements that way moving forward now that they have Mm -hmm. this like really sort of crystallized like a melodic sensibility and are able to have proven that they're able to be like very concise uh convincingly like them to stretch out the other way a little bit sure yeah yeah i'd like to see them play you know obviously cover more ground from their catalog and in the same way they did with the and francis maybe you know play some stuff from tremulant or amputecture or really whatever like it would just be nice to get chances to see all those lives since i never did but uh also i'd really like to see them do what they did in the past which is like tour with like wacky tour mates and just have a really cool memorable lineup for a tour where you know yeah. we're we're reaching levels of like mars volta system of a down and hella you know like that kind of stuff like <laughs> let me see i want i want those days like i want we some saw their weird lineup they're playing like with the chili peppers again <laughs> yeah, oh, really? yeah yeah there, there's wow. there's yeah it's uh they're opening for the chili peppers and i think that's sick I love that they're bringing that back. Yeah. Like, right. and they're like, oh, they're we're friends, still... you know? Yeah. I definitely like to hear the call. I would have liked to have heard the call where they're like, hey, Flea, we're getting back together. Like, can we open an <laughs> LA show? And they're like, sure, man. Like, anything for you guys. Like... <laughs> Get free Shantae yeah. to play all of his parts again. Yo, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, bring back Frushante. Like, why not? Yeah. Like... Second guitarist, let's go. I'd. I definitely agree with the sort of I now I feel like it's cool that they've like, you know, cleared their throat proven as Frank said that they can write pop songs. But right. for me, like next time I see them, I hope they, I'd like to see actually some more of the new stuff live just to be like, Oh, what does this feel like in person? Like, how is it different? And yeah. maybe they can kind of take that same approach, that scab dates approach of like, okay, let's open up these new songs and, tinker around in them for a bit you know yeah like let's extend some of these jams and like find some new ideas inside of this new stuff like i i believe in their ability and their musicianship to do that recontextualize the recordings yeah exactly and if they decide to do another record like i just hope they don't they keep not repeating themselves yeah right like i don't want francis the mute to but i also don't want the mars volta to like i want some i want them to keep being honest with themselves and keep pushing it forward. And I don't know, man, it just, it seems so cool that there's like a happy ending to this now where there were so many chances for it to not ever happen again. I don't know. I I keep returning this idea of like, this just was not a guarantee and uh, that we, we got to all celebrate this band again and see people kind of like be like, Oh yeah, wait, hold on. This, this band was cool. Uh, personally vindicating and and very emotionally satisfying for me at least you know yeah this is this has been a a year for me where like just narrowing it down to the live music realm where i felt like i really really need to take advantage of these opportunities 
because mm -hmm. a lot of artists that I love are dying and we'll never see them again. I saw Low twice this year and Mimi Parker passed away about a month and a half after I saw them play. And it was just kind mm -hmm. of that moment where I was like, man, the last time I saw Low, I was talking with my friend that was next to me the entire time because I hadn't seen him in years. And then, you know, that was the last time I'm ever going to see them, like those kinds of moments. So it's really nice for a band like the Volta to get to have the experience that I did and that I didn't, you know, stay home and choose to not pay money just to not go, you know, I'm, I'm glad that right. I took advantage of it. So go see them, go see your favorite bands. You may never get the chance. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, the big takeaway for sure. You know, celebrate the shit that, uh, exists cause it, it might not last forever. Yes. So that's it for me. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's, that feels we great. Can keep this one kind of short. Definitely. No, this, glad we got to do this again. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to reappraise it. And, uh, like definitely looking forward to keeping track of, you know, never thought it would happen. Glad it has. And that's, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, you know, it's like, yes. it's all, it's all up to their decisions. And, you know, I'm glad that they're feeling good and I hope I get to see it soon. Hell yeah. Yeah. Me too. All right. Well, alrighty guys. That, That'll be it for today, but thank you guys so much for hopping back on. Uh, this was Podcasted in the Lambda Forum Part 2. <laughs> thank you for joining us, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>